Hey guys, welcome to another Amen Rob podcast. And today we're going to be talking about the spike protein lipid nanoparticles inside the COVID vaccines. We now have the official evidence from the inventor of the mRNA vaccine technology, Dr. Robert Malone. He is going to be discussing the um, the the research, right? So if you guys want to listen to the full podcast, it's over three hours long. We're going to try to review parts of it um, in bits and pieces because actually uh, Dr. Weinstein and this particular show has been deleted off YouTube. Um, so all they've been able to post is a small clip from that particular podcast. And they also posted several links to which we will review um, in this particular podcast. But I wanted to let everybody know what the Dark Horse podcast is. And I wanted to go over the research that they discussed. So again, what they are talking about specifically is where are these lipid nanoparticles collecting? Um, where are these spike proteins collecting? And according to the research, it looks like they are collecting in the bone marrow and it looks like they are collecting in the ovaries for women as well as in the testicles for men. So um, I believe, let me see, looks like there was a video earlier. I'm not sure if this is the same one that I watched earlier, but um, it may it may have been deleted. So that's why I'm trying to hurry up and you know review this now. So with that being said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to play a little bit of this. I'm going to give commentary, and then we're also going to look at some of the research that they provided. So I'm going to come back in a, in a short minute after they played the beginning of this clip. Byram Brittle uh, did a freedom of action uh, request of the Japanese government for the Pfizer uh, data, and he got a biodistribution uh, chart. And I've, I've, I'm pretty sure I linked to the original uh, uh, data in my paper. And this uh, uh, graph was created from that Pfizer data. So this is not the Pfizer data itself from the Pfizer study. This is a graph, and people have double-checked and triple-checked this. It's a summary graphic. It's a summary graph so that you can I see have visually. Seen, I did review the primary data, and I concur that the primary data is consistent with the graph that you have nicely summarized. Right. And so what you see from this graph is that when you inject in the shoulder, it um, please. Do you want to walk through the, to teach the listener how it shows that? How it shows, but yeah, what you're just saying. So yeah, some of these people, some people will just listen. So what we're looking yeah. at oh, is a graph of different lines of concentration of spike protein in what, various no, tissues. No. No. Yes, it's the lipid nanoparticle. Oh, it's the lipid nanoparticle, which is the delivery, the delivery mechanism. Right. It's like yeah. it's like so a fed. It, it, it is. It people, is the drug. Well, for it's people the, at it's home, the, it's, it's, it's the box. It's the box in which the mRNA for the drugs. The mRNA is what causes the manufacture of the spike protein. But if you find the lipid nanoparticles, that tells you that your drug got to this location. Right. It's, it's the delivery the, box, effectively. It's the FedEx delivery box that, that has the mRNA inside. This this is, you're exactly right. This is the lipid component yeah. uh, that does the delivery. Okay, so good. So what we've got here are different lines that tell you over time from a quarter of an hour to 48 hours where you find 
what the concentration of various tissues are. And you've got some strong signals here. You've got it in whole blood, not surprisingly, over the first four hours. In other words, it's moving around, circulating. That in and of itself is unusual. And right. Sort of should be. It, it, it wasn't. It wasn't. So, so the the forgive me. Um, yeah. Just to get a little more precise, we've administered by needle into the deltoid you know, of this complex. Yeah. And you're just tracking the lipid part of it now. There's also an RNA part of it. But as you say, it quickly moves into the blood. Plasma is the cell-free fraction. That's the yellow mustard line, and the gray line is whole blood. So that includes the cellular part of blood. Yeah. Okay, carry on. Okay, and then we get lines that rise. So all of these things decline as basically this diffuses through the body, which actually is not what we would hope. You would hope it would stay in the arm, but it's basically diffusing through the body. So concentrations are dropping as it gets more and more evenly distributed. And then concentrations are rising conspicuously in two places as we close in on 48 hours. One of them is in the ovaries where it goes sky high. That's really frightening. Anybody that's looked at this data says, what? Yeah, that is a, that is a very <laughs> yes, frightening and, 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 and it's the, the cognitive dissonance between what the CDC says is that this is safe for pregnant women. Right. This is perfectly safe. And it's on the CDC website. It's unbelievable. It's at some level, it's not safe for women at all. I mean, this is this is right. Before we interpret right. the data, let's right. make sure your listeners understand it. Okay, so the ovaries show a high concentration for whatever reason that's ending up in the ovaries of the preferentially. Lipid. Yes, the lipid is ending up there. And then the other place that we have a signal, which I think suggests something we need to worry farther down the road. You tell me, Robert, if I'm on the right track here or not. But the fact that it shows up concentrating in bone marrow. Bad news. Actually, that suggests that you could end up with, now I'm not saying this is going to happen, but I'm saying we need to look for something like leukemias showing up here because of their creation in bone marrow. I know from other work that it also seems to show up preferentially in, in uh, lymph nodes, which raises the question of whether or not uh, lymphomas might be created. In any case, these are possible long-term effects that we have no way of knowing don't arise because these things have not been injected into people for more than a year. So, so, so we have two adverse event signals that are starting to become apparent, my friends at the FDA tell me, okay. um, uh, that are relevant to what you're saying. Okay. You're focusing on bone marrow. So typically aplastic anemia, leukemia, lymphoma, those kinds of things might if, if there are, is going, to be, is going to be a signal. We might see it six months, three years, nine years, okay? Hard to tell, because um, this is a progression of cancer. It often requires multiple mutations, yep. okay? So, so let's just park that. Yeah. Um, it, is a risk, said, it is a risk that should be monitored. Well, wait a minute. Well, you, said, you said somebody is beginning to see a signal of something, but I didn't get what it was. Yeah, so I was going to get into that. Okay. Um, there's two signals that are starting to, um, and we don't have time to go into the nuance of how come it takes so long for them to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Okay. But um, one of them is uh, thrombocytopenia. That's not having the platelets. Okay. okay. What which are manufactured in the bone marrow. So I'm, right now we're focusing on bone marrow signals. Okay. Um, Thrombocytopenia is one of them. Another one that is very hard to understand that's starting to come up in the database 
is reactivation of latent viruses. Mm -hmm. So this is shingles, shingles is an example of that, but there are many others. And there's something in the literature about reactivation of human latent human retroviruses. Okay, so it it is it is there are anomalous findings cropping up, and and uh, I concur that uh, it was when I received these data to evaluate. Uh, I gave you that whole story. Okay. Those are two of the things. And by the way, what's really odd to me about the ovarian signal is there's no um, signal in the testes. Right. Sure. And, and a colleague of mine, uh, Dr. Kevin Tamara, has done a lot of thinking and reading about that because it bothers him too. He's a urologist, so he kind of specializes in the male reproductive system. And he has some theories having to do with charge associated because these are charged limits. So there are particular features of the ovary that may, and as opposed to the testis, that may explain some of this, but it doesn't get us away from the two core things. Number one, this was known with the original data packages. The Japanese data package is essentially a historic document. It's different from what the FDA is currently looking at. So this is these data have been out there a long time. And yes, we have a whole lot of messages. But not in public view. Within the purview, the confidential, of the regulators. protected, not disclosed this is purview yeah, and this company of, confidential. Of, of the regulators across the world. But not okay. the, yeah, this, so, is, this, so, this was. So this, this messaging that company wrong, confidential. So let's the second pause. Yeah. That messaging was inconsistent with these signals that were apparent, at least inside of the, the regulators. The data or the data? Yeah. Okay. So. They know. Uh, we've got potential long-term, we've got short-term implications in the bone marrow. We've got potential long-term implications in the bone marrow. We have short-term implications in the ovaries. We've got potential long-term implications. I would add to the list what I've been worried about most from the beginning are autoimmune disorders that might show up in the long term. Is that plausible as you say? I, 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 we talked about this earlier. Um, and for me, it's less the lipid component, although that certainly has merit yeah. for autoimmune. It's more the circulating free spike protein, spike, yeah. which we didn't expect. Right. And in the literature, we were the, the, the developers assured us this would not happen. The literature suggested we would not have free spike. Yeah. And then Harvard and Brigham did a study in nurses, and lo and behold, we clearly have free spike after vaccination. Yeah. And that has a whole other set of implications, but autoimmune development of an autoimmune disease against complexes of foreign protein plus normal human proteins is certainly something that you'd have to monitor for. Yeah. As we were discussing, the way that that's, that's part of the reason why you typically want a two to three year follow-up period on the initial group of phase three patients to make sure that autoimmune consequences don't develop because they typically take time. Right, and okay. this is why, you know, they always say that there's no such thing as a vaccine that was, that is developed fast, you know, but like the fastest we've ever developed a vaccine has been like, what, like seven years or? Yeah, probably if we, unless we go back mid-century when things were loose right. fast. Right, but there's a reason for that. It's not just that, okay, well, we didn't have the technology, we have better technology now. We still need to right. be able to see what the long-term effects is on a 12-year-old. time. And right. in fact, you usually you use right. animal models to do that. And the assumptions on which the animal models bring these things to light are faulty. Right. And how do you, well, how do you or, judge or, the, the effect or, on a 12-year-old? What, yeah. what the animal models give us is a signal 
that alerts us to things that we need to follow up on carefully in humans. Yes. Okay. So, so hold on. So just to make this, this segment clear, okay, we've got very alarming short-term stuff. We've got short-term stuff that is alarming on the basis of where we find these lipids, where we find the spike proteins. Those things are reasons for concern because it wasn't supposed to be this way. We've also got an alarming signal in terms of the hazards and deaths or the harms and the deaths that are reported in the system. And there's a reason to think that those are dramatic underreports. Yes, and they're all okay. consistent all right, with, so the, with the spike distribution. Parts of the, the harm equation. Okay, the harm equation involves, there appears to be short-term harm being done at an alarming level. Long-term harm is quite plausible based on what we already know about what's taking place, but we, of course, are going to take time to figure to out whether it's actually Find out, and then it's going to be too late. You can, right. never, you, can never un you can vaccinate yourself, but you can never unvaccinate. All right, so you guys just saw that short part of the podcast. That was a three-hour show. Um, hold on. That was a three-hour podcast, so we're definitely going to be taking our time to review that particular podcast. And again, that is the inventor of the mRNA vaccine. And just to give you context, what he's saying is he doesn't, he was not aware when he first, um, you know, created these vaccines, the developer to these vaccines assured him that the spike protein would not be circulating in the blood and that it would stay directly in the shoulder. And now with this particular graph, we know that that's a lie. And what's very disturbing is that, that, that this information had to be literally, people had to file a lawsuit against the government of Japan to get this information. And that's very disturbing because that, as they pointed out, um, <clears throat> this is one of the earliest pieces of data that they had for the biodistribution of this vaccine. And like we talked about before on this podcast, they completely skipped biodistribution and pharmacokinetic, pharmacodynamics research when it came to this vaccine because they claimed it was an emergency. So they didn't have time to do that. But... <clears throat> Anytime a drug is made, you definitely should know where the drug is going to be distributed in the body, how it's going to be excreted, how it's going to, you know, where is it going to wind up? Because now we have very disturbing information that these lipid nanoparticles are accumulating in the ovaries, in extremely large amounts in the ovaries, people. So this is very disturbing because like we've said before, women are having miscarriages, they're having irregular periods. And this makes perfect sense because um, the ovaries have to do with, um, you know, people, you know, have, those ovaries release certain signals in the blood so that the woman can start menstruating. So if there's a, a large accumulation of these lipid nanoparticles there, it's going to mess up her menstrual flow. And it's going to, you know, also the, the spike protein can interact with the placenta because the ACE2 receptor is on the placenta, okay? And the spike protein uses this ACE2 receptor to actually um, propagate. So that's a huge problem, right? Huge problem. And, you know, it's very disturbing to me, you know, 
that it accumulates so much in the ovaries and the bone marrow because this can cause lymphoma. As they said, they said that this can cause lymphoma, which is a form of um, lymph node cancer. And we talked about this um, on our previous podcast that women going to get mammograms <clears throat> and cancer screenings are having extremely large lymph nodes in their pelvis, um, in their legs, in their neck, all over their body. And if those lipid nanoparticles are accumulating in the lymph nodes, the lymph nodes can definitely um, start to create some type of mutation, right? Because there is RNA in there. And when you have RNA floating through your blood, floating through your bone marrow, that is a dangerous signal for the body. So this is why <clears throat> they were so adamant about using lipid nanoparticles in the first place, because they said, well, you know, um, our body would immediately disintegrate any RNA that was injected into our body. So they had to use hydrogel in order to, to put that, that RNA into our system. So the body's natural innate immune system does not allow RNA to just float around the body. So what we have are free circulating spike proteins, which we know are very toxic and very dangerous to just be circulating in your bone marrow, to be circulating in your brain, to be circulating in your organs, in your kidneys, to be circulating in your, um, in your lymph nodes. It's very dangerous and it's very disturbing that the ovaries were the place where most of the lipid nanoparticles went to. So I definitely think Dr. Christian Northrup's assessment of this spike protein as being a bioweapon is completely accurate. Now we also have to discuss, they talked about um, the reactivation of human retroviruses like shingles, herpes, and probably even other retroviruses that we may not even be aware of because 8% of our genome is made out of viruses. So this may reactivate all kinds of viruses that we may not even be aware of at this point because these lipid nanoparticles and this RNA <clears throat> is circulating in places that it's not supposed to be. So I definitely appreciate the inventor of the mRNA vaccine for coming onto this particular podcast to discuss this. And it's a shame that YouTube is trying to censor literally the inventor of the vaccine. Makes no sense. So, um, Let's see. So let's show you guys the paper that they were talking about. And this paper is by Steve Kirsch. And this has all the information that um, we have been collecting. And I also have another podcast I'm going to do shortly after this. But for now, um, it says here. <clears throat> I recently learned that vaccines have killed over 25,800 Americans, which I confirmed three different ways and disabled at least a million more. And we're only halfway to the finish line. We need to pause these vaccines now before more people are killed. The CDC, the FDA, and the NIH aren't disclosing how many people have been killed or disabled from the COVID vaccines. The mainstream media isn't asking any questions. They are playing along. YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and others are all censoring content that goes against the perfectly safe narrative so nobody is the wiser. Tony Fauci, the father of COVID, is still in his job even though all of this is his fault. Cliff Lane, who reports to Tony, is still sandbagging early treatment so that people will falsely believe that the vaccine is the only option. The Democrats are still asleep at the wheel by refusing to request Fauci's unredacted emails from the NIH was reproved. He covered up the fact that he created the virus in the first place. 
Biden is clueless, urging Americans to vaccinate their kids with a deadly vaccine that has likely killed more than 25,000 Americans so far. Academics in the medical community are nearly all clueless, urging people to get the safe and effective vaccine. When I tried to bring this to the attention of leading academics, they told me I was wrong and not to contact them ever again. Sound too hard to believe? I don't blame you. But there is a reason that this article is the most popular article that has ever been on trial site news with over a million views so far. It's because everything I've said is true and no one will debate me live about it. They all refuse. Based on what I now know about the minuscule vaccine benefits, lacks than a 0.5% reduction in absolute risk, side effects, including death, current COVID rates, and the success rate of early treatment protocols, the answer I would give today to anyone asking for advice as to whether to take any of the current vaccines would be just say no. Waiting for Novavax and other traditional vaccines is a much safer option. If you get COVID in the meantime, treating with early treatment protocols that incorporate Fluoroxamin and ivermectin is vastly superior to getting the most dangerous vaccine in the last 30 years. Vaccines are particularly contraindicated if you have already been affected with COVID or are under age 20. For these people, I would say no, no, no. In this article, I will explain what I have learned since I was vaccinated that totally changed my mind. You will learn how these vaccines work and the shortcuts that led to the mistakes that remain. You will understand why there are so many side effects and why they are so varied and why they usually happen within 30 days of vaccination. You will understand why kids are having heart issues for which there is no treatment and temporarily losing their sight and ability to talk. You will understand why as many as 3% may be severely disabled by the vaccine. You will understand why doctors are reporting these as vaccine related. <clears throat> what I find deeply disturbing is the lack of transparency on how dangerous COVID, the current COVID vaccines are. Healthy people could have been dead or currently disabled at a rate that is off the charts compared with any vaccine in our history. Look at the death report in our government's official vaccine adverse event reporting system, summarized in the tweet below. This is the most deadly vaccine we've ever made by a long shot. That's why they have to give you incentives to get vaccinated. They need to vaccinate everyone before people read this article or watch this video of Dr. Peter Mercolo explaining clearly why the current COVID vaccines are unsafe and completely unnecessary for our children. Surely the CDC has verified these deaths. They are not false or misleading. They are demonstrating an alarming safety signal, important to be on the right side of history, and it will go down as the most deadly biological program in history, unavoidable conclusion. The, stop, the stopping condition of a typical vaccine is 25 to 30 deaths, but there isn't a stopping condition for this vaccine. It appears we've killed over 25,800 people based on CDC unexplained deaths and nobody is batting an eye. The CDC is focused on how to vaccinate more people. Clinics today report as high as a 10 to 1 ratio of vaccine-related cases to COVID cases. So now we have a new health emergency, deaths and disability from the vaccine. But this is just the beginning of our story. We have a lot of ground to cover. I'll talk about Fauci, NIAD, CDC, Congress, academia, Cliff Lane, and more. I will close with action items that you can take and how to treat vaccine victims. Before we jump into the details, here are some key points. At least 26,000 deaths from the vaccine. 
The open bears team think it is over 20,000 due to underreporting, but we look at the CMS database and it appears bears is underreporting by five times. And the CDC excess explains excess unexplained deaths are 25,000 as well. It matches up. Nobody will debate you. People resort to personal attacks because they can't attack the facts, but nobody who counts, for example, over 10,000 followers will debate you. I've tried everything. People are too afraid I'll win. If you have at least 10,000 Twitter followers and agree to record it live on debate, just say so in the comments below. Biodistribution data shows massive accumulation in the ovaries of the lipid nanoparticles, which instructs cells in ovaries to sprout toxic spike protein. Whoops, that was never supposed to be leaked out. We obtained it via an FOIA request. The CDC never told you about that, did they? Of course not. 82% miscarriage rate in the first 20 weeks, 10% is the normal rate. It is baffling that the CDC says the vaccine is safe for pregnant women when it is so clear that this is not the case. For example, one of our family friends is a victim of this. She miscarried at 25 weeks and is having a DNC on 6-9-21. She had her first shot seven weeks ago and her second shot four weeks ago. The baby has severe bleeding of the brain and other disfigurements. Her gynecologist had never seen anything like that before in her life. They called in a specialist who said it was probably a genetic defect because everyone buys into the narrative that the vaccine is safe. It is always ruled out as a possible cause. No VAERS report, no CDC report. Yet the doctors I've talked to said that it is over 99% certain it was the vaccine. The family doesn't want an autopsy for fear. Their daughter will find out it was the vaccine. This is a perfect example of how these horrible side effects just never get reported anymore. 25 times the possibility of myocarditis for teen boys, which can lead to heart failure and death. Kids already have natural immunity, so there is no benefit to vaccination, only risk. Have you ever seen the risk benefit analysis by the CDC? Ask for it before you consent. No point in vaccinating those who've had COVID-19. Doctors who attribute ad adverse events to the vaccine are published, punished, such as Dr. Hoff, so underreporting is incentivized. The CDC refuses to say how many people have died and is still investigating heart damage in kids, even though it's obvious why. Free spike protein causing clotting and inflammation. A 25 times increase is when the only new thing is the vaccine isn't hard to figure out. Ask the CDC for their current top five hypothesis for the cause. It would be more than amusing to see what they say. If it isn't the vaccine, it's the role. The CDC is deliberately misleading the American people. Check out the side effects page. Death, disability, excessive miscarriage rates, heart attack, stroke, inability to walk, talk, or see, Bell's palsy, persistent pain, Parkinson's-like symptoms, reactivation of shingles, blood clots, etc., all missing. It is more than 500 times more deadly than the flu vaccine. COVID vaccines have generated more adverse reports in the last six months than all 70 vaccines over the past 30 years combined. They missed that one. Defective virus design, S1, was never supposed to be free. Inclusion of PEG was unnecessary and allows LNP to be widely distributed. Strong opposition to vaccination by extremely credible voices like Malone, Geert, Bond, and Bush, and others.
NIAD, Cliff Lane, is improperly manipulating the COVID treatment guidelines to make it appear these drugs do not work, thus giving the world the false impression that the vaccine, even if imperfect, is the only way out. Ivermectin and fluoxamine have been confirmed in phase three trials. Ivermectin has a very high quality systematic review, the highest possible level in evidence-based medicine. Repurposed drugs are safer and more effective than the current vaccines. In general, early treatment with effective protocols reduce the risk of dying by more than 100 times. So instead of 600,000 deaths, we have had fewer than 6,000 deaths. Note the vaccine has already killed over 6,000 people, and that's from the vaccine alone. It doesn't count any breakthrough deaths. Vaccines skip proper toxicology studies in order to bring to market faster. We don't know what we don't know. The unpredictable and horrifying side effects of this vaccine on healthy kids such as a 16-year-old girl who was unable to speak and see just 48 hours after being vaccinated. Debilitating side effects can happen at any time because vaccine victims are very similar to COVID long haulers. And we all know that long haul can start at any time, even when the disease is asymptomatic and could be incurable. Because the vaccine is not perfectly safe, the government is required by law to warn people of the death and disability risk caused by the vaccine and to obtain informed consent. Always be sure to ask for the 50 most serious side effects and how often they happen and find out whether they will compensate you if you are disabled for life from the vaccine. This is important because the blood clots can form anywhere with this very unsafe vaccine. So, so what you're looking at now is very specific proof of why kids are at a low risk of COVID. So it says here, blood, blood taken from kids before the COVID-19 pandemic contains memory B cells that bind SAR, so SARS-CoV-2, a new study find. The results highlight prominence of early childhood B cell clonal expansions and cross-reactivity for future responses to novel pathogens. So what that means is that children already have a natural immunity to the spike protein and to SARS in general um, through their adaptive immune system. Therefore, there is no need to vaccinate um, these children. Now, when we look at this organ biodistribution study, several areas of the body are not included, like the injection site, the liver, the spleen, and the adrenals. Those were not included, so you can see more detail. The graph ends at 48 hours because that is the extent of the data provided in the original Pfizer study. All right. So as you can see here, they're showing you that the spike protein is accumulating all over the body and all the different places, the plasma, the uterus, but especially in the ovaries and especially in the bone marrow. Here's what this means. This vaccine seeks out your daughter's ovaries and instructs the cells in the ovaries to turn out a very toxic spike protein. It also goes into your child's brain, heart, and other critical organs. This can cause deafness, blindness, inability to speak, myocarditis, pericarditis, and more at unacceptable rates. It may permanently damage your child's reproductive system. We just don't know. So we have went over several important things. Um, mainly this biodistribution study is very, very important because it's showing you the, this toxic liquid nanoparticles are accumulating in places where they should not. So literally people are creating spike protein in their bone marrow. They're creating spike protein in their heart they're creating spike protein in their ovaries. So this is very disturbing. And as the inventor of the mRNA vaccine said, they told him that um, this 
particular vaccine would stay in the shoulder and would not distribute um, to the organs or other places in the body. So, like I said before, we're going to review the rest of the course podcast in our next show. But for now, I just wanted to give you guys a quick podcast just to update you directly from the words of the mouth of the of the mRNA vaccines himself. So with that being said, um, I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast and I will see you guys in the next show. Peace.